Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. On this episode of the Herring Code Women in Leadership podcast, we are joined by Fatima Batouk, who has over 12 years experience in female fitness within Saudi Arabia, pioneering and paving the path for Saudi female instructors. Fatima is also a mentor to many entrepreneurs, trainers and clients, transforming them to help achieve their goals. And she is now the CEO of Switz Group. I was born in Singapore. I grew up there till I was four four or five years old, moved to Saudi. And I always say that's the beginning of my depression. My mom is uh, Tibetan and from the royal family, which I was always ashamed of saying. You know, it was nerve wracking because I was sitting with the minister at that time and, you know, to convince him to give us this legislation. At the end of that discussion, he said, okay, done. I should talk to women through fashion, you know, because that's one thing in Saudi, however it, is and people always thought women were covered and they were the most fashionable women in the world. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Heron Code podcast, Women in Leadership. We promised you a great season. It's getting better and better. And today is absolutely no different. Uh, Today's guest has over 12 years experience in female fitness in Saudi, pioneering and paving the path for Saudi female instructors. Uh, She's also a mentor to many entrepreneurs, trainers and clients, transforming them to help achieve their goals. Please welcome to the podcast, Fatima Batouk. Welcome. Hi, thank you. How are you? Are you feeling good? Good, very good. Yeah? Yeah. I hear this is your first podcast, so I'm hoping I'll do it justice. I'm so excited to be in this conversation with you because in the process of research, you should have seen my face when I was like just reading all the media articles on you, words spoken by others about you, but also words that you've spoken yourself about your journey and your story. You are so invested personally and professionally in the health and the wellness world. So I guess my first question to you uh, would be what started that fire and that passion for what you do? Wow, that's a long story. (laughs) It's a loaded question. (laughs) Yeah, it is a loaded question. Well, I have to say it started because of a personal journey that I was going through, a physical transformation that I've gone through at a very young age. uh, And it stemmed from a very painful loss that I had which was my father's loss when I was 19 years old. And that was what, like a wake-up call for me to become a better person and serve my body and myself right. Mm. And that and it started there. And I always say it's always from pains is where we start really finding our true calling. And, and that, that hardship is the, what really taught me and guided me towards fitness. Mm. But for me, fitness wasn't really a point of... Um, just a weight loss thing. It was really an emotional journey. Mm. And I think that's what really the essence of what targeted it is for me. Emotionally, I wasn't uh, stable or unhappy or whatever people call it today, Mm. you know. Mm. And I think fitness guided me to really find who I am. And when I started that on my own, I just became an incredible person Mm. (laughs) in my early 20s. And uh, and went all around the world seeking knowledge in this uh, profession because uh, it wasn't available in Saudi Arabia at that time. And I'm talking about 2005, 2006. And I came back to Saudi with this knowledge and passion for fitness. 
and wanted to like spread it and share it with everyone. And, you know, and it's like, you know, you're, you know, when you're coming from a carnival and you're all hyped up and you come in and then there's like crickets. Mm. Yeah, that's how it felt. And I felt, no, people need to know this. They need to understand. And, you know, the first thing that specifically women come to come around to fitness is weight loss. Mm. And I would, you know, and, and for me, I was like, okay, that could be the key because that's what they saw in me. They're like, oh my God, you lost all the weight. How did you do it? Just to give us, tell us the story. What did you do? Is it a pill? Is it an injection? Is it a surgery? Is it, I, you know, everyone wanted that thing. And it's like, even if it is, people do take whatever they take. Mm. At the end, if they don't change their lifestyle and really that change comes in from within, which is change themselves mm-hmm. and really find themselves and find that balance within them mentally, spiritually, physically, everything, it, nothing will help. Mm. And I think that was really what I wanted to get through women in Saudi. Mm. Yeah. And I think, and I completely agree with you. I do think a lot of uh, people have those moments in yeah. their life, right? Yeah. Where their lowest low, and that is when they decide to like super dig yeah. in deep. And yeah. if you don't mind me asking you, take me back to that moment where you experienced such a loss in your life. But before that, who was Fatima before that loss and before that transformational moment? Oh my God, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Not my intention. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, before that, I have to say, I refer to her to someone else because I feel she is someone else. Uh, a person who was undisciplined, a person who thought there was always shortcuts to getting things. I was uh, looking back at her. I believe that she was unhappy, uh, struggling with a lot of difficulties, within her environment, uh, her family, her community, her country. You know, I just felt out of place and I always felt the odd one. Mm. And it was for me dealing with that was all about emotional eating or like excessiveness of everything. Mm. You know, it's not just the food. It was of everything that was uh, that wasn't good. Mm. That wasn't good for me. And I think that was uh, that had to stop, Mm. you know, and uh, But I have to say that that person always had a fire within her, you know, Mm. always had a fire within her who was looking for something, but she didn't know what it was. Mm. And she was calling out for help, but there was no one to really guide her, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think the different circumstances that I was within, uh, I'm the only girl between five boys in Saudi Arabia. Mm. So Mm. that was hard. I, you know, having lost my father at a young age, And he was my rock. But all of that, you know, but still, I can't say that looking back at myself, the younger self, and even younger, younger when I was a child, I was always that kid, that person who was always trying to push the boundaries, Mm -hmm. who always wanted to do something different. But I was always named as a rebel, as a person who is uh, not behaved or conformed or whatever it is. And that put a lot of pressure on me because... I always wanted to, I always wanted to please people also mm-hmm. you know and I mm-hmm. wanted to conform and make everyone happy but I didn't stay for too long mm. <laughs> you know yeah but at least I I think from that uh, you know I started my journey of uh, self discovery I channeled that energy into in the right place mm. and I'm sure that if I hadn't I maybe I'd, I'd be ended up somewhere else and some mm. <laughs> some other person that I am than the person I am today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it always happens at the time it's supposed to happen. Sometimes it hits people at the age of 70, 80, a lot later yes. on in their life. Yeah. 
A question to you is if you could speak to that version of yourself and go back and make me cry and talk to her (laughs) what would you like if you could sit down with her and say something what would you say to her i tell her um it's gonna be okay Mm. yeah i think that would be it's gonna be okay and just keep on trusting your gut feeling because there were many moments where i doubted myself Mm -hmm. and no keep on pushing and stop pleasing everyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. and I feel like you know we have those blocks in so many cultures around the world where you know uh, we feel like we're betraying someone or something to be who we truly are and these are these are blocks and boundaries which you just bulldozed through I mean it looks like that from the outside in but of course I'm sure there were so many um, internal struggles that you were going through I think your story is fascinating because like you said what you did was of course you were in Saudi but then you said to learn and to follow your passion you turned global and you went around the world you I believe you did business school in the US so how was that for you then because now you're completely part of a pretty much an opposite world yes how was that every part of me wanted to be part of that world you know Mm. it's the only thing that you know I grew up with a mother who is a super super woman a feminist strong woman she always taught me that you know anything is possible even going back and remembering the sentences that she had told me as a young child I would be thinking wow, like that's powerful. Of course, mm-hmm. it didn't mean anything to me then. But mm-hmm. today, reflecting back, the, even the simplest thing, like when I would be uh, obsessed about uh, having a brand or something, and she's like, why don't you create your own brand? You know, I remember I was, I was like 10 years old. I'm like, create my own brand? Yeah, why don't you let people be obsessed with you and with your brand, you know? And I, and I remember she would say things like that. I'd be like, my God, what's she saying? You know, mm-hmm. but she was always the, the person who was very different. You know, and she being from Tibet or Nepal, uh, very that's also another another pressure in mm-hmm. Sa- being in Saudi. But I always wanted to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about in my earlier age, of course, in teenage age and all that. And American pop culture is huge in Saudi, so I was like, "That's it. This is this is where I'm going to be. This is where I want to be. I want that's me. That's I, I'm going to fit in immediately when I get there." And then I get there and I'm like, okay, I don't fit in. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was different. I was like, okay, I don't. You know, the, there were so many things which I realized I found more ignorance around me mm. there, but they had more experience and knowledge, which is, I know it's very oxymoron, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt, okay, let me get what I, I need from this space because it's allowed where I was from, it wasn't. So I think that was the main thing that I want. I want. I wanted to get out of when I when I went to abroad and specifically to the to U.S. and then to France and U.K. and other countries is that I wanted to learn from them, you know. And I ended up teaching a lot to them mm. because it became like uh, a uh, experience for me of telling them. By the way, there is. There are other, uh, you know, beautiful uh, cultures around the world that would add so much to what you know, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, when it comes to, you know, be, my mom being Tibet, I was always exposed to uh, Buddhism, yoga, meditation and all of that. 
So when I when you're in New York and it was the boom of the yoga studios and then early 2000s, it was like, you know, I felt they were doing it. It was amazing how they did it and how they constructed it, the yoga classes and the meditation sessions. But I felt, but they don't get it. They didn't know the essence of it. So I felt, okay, this is my role. This is why I'm here. And I always felt like wherever I go, I had to give back in a way or or not give back or share, mm. you know, share and maybe in some way ignite someone, open up their mind slightly to see something differently. But that's yeah. such an interesting mindset to have at such a young age, to come across someone who mm. has that mentality because a lot of people nowadays, they're called gatekeepers, you know, they don't want to give the industry secrets away and they don't want to share their knowledge or experience in fear that other people would supersede them. Oh. and take over and take their importance and their attention. So you never had that feeling. Never. And I think even when I started the business that I got into fitness, I never started it as a point of, I'm never going to share this knowledge. I wanted to share it with everyone. Even the people who are working with me would come to me. They're like, why are you telling everyone about what we do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, why are you teaching them how we teach? You know, we do things differently. And I'm saying, well, we'll have to do it better than every time, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know, I'm, we, I've started with great with the great instructors who today have their own studios, and have their own gyms, and have their own careers in fitness. Uh, women who have worked with me, uh, not as instructors, but in the management of uh, gyms, have taken bigger roles, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and it makes me proud. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't defeat me at all. It and, and it actually empowers me. If anything, I feel like okay, that's it. This is, this is what I want. You know, mm-hmm. and even when I came back from abroad and I wanted to share this knowledge of uh, fitness and all that, and even though this was a side thing, I've never taken it seriously in terms of a full time job. I had a full time job working for a multinational company and in marketing and sales. So, I that was. That was my full-time thing, and this mm-hmm. was something I did in the evenings, and I always wanted to share the knowledge with others. When I did that, I, you know, I would do it, and I, you know, just seeking out anyone in need, mm. like anyone and person in need who was interested or or is ready to change. I just wanted to come and give them that knowledge, you know, and I, and, and it's good, but sometimes, you know, my friend says it's, uh, <laughs> it could be too much because she's like, some people don't want it. And, yeah. you know, and you, you have to back off and I would just keep on persisting and persisting mm. and persisting till it, they get it. I think point. it's, yeah. it's also about letting people know that you're there in case they do want it, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. you're, you're there, yes. you have the yeah. resources, yes. you have the knowledge. Yeah. I think one thing that is key about your story is belonging. And I struggle with this. Born and raised in London, Indian heritage. I feel like I don't belong in the UK. I don't belong in India. I'm not Indian enough. I'm not British enough. This belonging that we all yearn as humans, especially here in the UAE, which is such a cultural melting pot. Where does that come from? And I mean, I guess now what you've found out is it's not where you are necessarily, right? Geographically. It's about how you feel about yourself. Tell me more about that moment for you. I think this whole identity thing, I grew up with it. You know, I grew up not uncomprehending who I was and not just from in terms of heritage or nationality, even in a value system, you know, which was really hard, Mm. you know, to be taught to be from my mother to be tolerant to all different kinds of religions and to be taught the opposite in schools in Saudi and to be exposed to my father's side of the family who are super religious 
and then to be living in a compound where we were swimming. But I was like, what is right and what is wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, where am I supposed to be? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I have five brothers. Three of them were half half brothers who were brought up by a Saudi mother who had a different, different value system. But they were my brothers. Mm-hmm. But they see me as I'm wrong, you mm-hmm. know, and I see them as wrong. So what is wrong and right? But I think for me, that was the biggest crisis. You know, I... Who I was born in Singapore. I grew up there till I was four, four or five years old. Moved to Saudi, and I think, and I always say that's the beginning of my depression. Yeah, I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. I'm not diagnosed with depression mm-hmm. or child depression, but mm-hmm. I, I do, f- I felt that I did come to an environment where I was uh, different. And, you know, and I had cousins who would come and show me off to other people and say, oh, look, she speaks different languages. Speak, speak English, speak uh, Malay, speak Hindi, speak, you know, and I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to say? You know, yeah. but it was weird, you know, but obviously we grow out of it. We understand that. OK, but today I own it. You know, if anything, where do I belong? And I have to say this, that when someone asked me I, where I'm from, I when I was uh, in my early 20s, like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I would I would be and, and abroad and someone asks me, where are you from? I would be saying Saudi Arabia and they won't get it. I would say mm, Dubai, you know, and I'll just make something familiar to everyone. Right. I just wanted to be familiar because mm. I was sick of being unfamiliar. Mm. But today I have to say that I am so proud to be Saudi. You know, I'm just so proud. I'm like, it's everything that I have gone through in my personal life, all the hardship, it just paid off with, God bless him, the crown prince, mm-hmm. his royal highness, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Just, he just made it for me, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, I'm sure he doesn't know. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he just really made it for me because it felt like, oh my God, I took all the bullets and right here I'm standing and every and I'm actually not just standing here, I'm celebrated, mm-hmm. you know, for being different was a celebration today where before it wasn't, you know, for I have to say that today I own it. I, you know, I was telling, being with Saudis, I was, I was ashamed to say my mom was in Saudi and uh, being with the, uh, with the, Asians, you know, because my mom was, uh, she was in Singapore and she has heritage in India too mm-hmm. and, and Nepal. Being there, I wouldn't say I was Arab because it was, wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know, mm-hmm. but it was always something that I couldn't be. But today I was like, no, I am all of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more, you know, but mm-hmm. I am uh, Saudi with a uh, Hadrami heritage from my father's side. His mother is Indonesian. My grandmother, my mom is uh, uh, Tibetan and uh, Tibetan and from the royal family, which I was always ashamed of saying, you know, Mm. I have royal blood, you know, uh, you know, the Maharajas and Maharanis of India are like, I'm related to them in some way, you know, like, Mm. and uh, my mom being a rebel, of course, had chosen to leave that and live Mm. her own life. And I think that continues with me mm. you know if, uh, my mother had chosen to marry a Saudi and I had uh, and today I'm married to an Italian so mm. but uh, the mix is still continues from yeah. generation to generation yeah it does and I and I guess it's just authenticity it's you found your way but I, I do feel like although now we're in 2023 anywhere around the world kids yeah. younger generations are still struggling with this I guess you can call it an identity crisis yeah. so you've already shared so much but if you could any kids listening at home who actually can relate to everything yeah. that you've just said, yeah. would you have any words of advice for them? It's so hard being a kid with this emotion. 
It is. It's mm. really hard. I, you know, I, I feel you. You know, I feel these children, and I, when I see them, you know, I'd be like, "Oh, come! I want to hug you. Mm. I know how it feels." You know, mm. but today it is easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have to be proud of it. I think the one thing any person should do, with a mixed uh, heritage or not, is really dig into your family history. You know, because there is going to be an ancestor who was a, I don't know, an artist, or a person who, uh, like my great my fa- mother's great grandfather, he brought education to the people mm-hmm. in Nepal. He was the first to do that. But there's so, going to be a part that you will be proud of. And you have to know that you are a part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not whatever you have, you are today, you are, you've inherited the name, you've inherited the history, and plus you are building it for the next generations. Mm-hmm. So you have to really do something really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and make the best of it. 100%. And I let's talk about building for the next generation because that's exactly what you have gone and done. We spoke about you you know, being a student, you turned into a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you created the first Saudi Arab brand for fitness and sport apparel in the Middle East. Uh, talk to me about that. What made you see that gap in the market? Was it your mum saying to you when you were younger, <laughs> create your own brand? <laughs> maybe, maybe subconsciously. Mm. Uh, actually, the brand stemmed from, I'm not into fashion. I'm that person who's always in neutral colors. Uh, and uh, even at the gym, I'm not the flashy person mm-hmm. yeah, always in black or white or off-white mm-hmm. but it came from in 2000 I think it was 2013 when there was a big uh, a big I don't know what they were trying to fix up legislation in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and they started closing down all facilities that was providing services other than what the commercial registration said and one of that was gyms Mm-hmm. So female gyms, because female gyms didn't have a legislation. So at that point, they had did a close down, like they hunted down all these hidden gyms, which I was very well participating mm-hmm. in. What is okay? Talk to me about hidden gyms. So they were like further. part of. The, so they were actual gyms, and with full equipment, everything. Mm-hmm. But it would be part of a, a computer center, or a, under a license of a female. Uh, beauty parlor mm-hmm. or you know like different licensing right just to make it happen mm-hmm. because there wasn't one clear one for mm-hmm. it so but that they went to all those places and said okay if you're a computer center only have computers close down the gym and oh, for everything else mm-hmm. so that was really hard and uh I'm like I've created a created you know a following and women are dependent on me you know in this in my, you know, post <laughs> full-time job <laughs> hours mm-hmm. where I was giving a lot of uh, spin classes, yoga, workouts, you know, and introducing different equipment every time I went to convention, coming back with my new ideas. And all of this was gone. And they couldn't do anything. And then I became very, like, very vocal about it, mm. you know. And uh, How did you do that? It was mainly through social media and and. At that time, Twitter was, until now, it's very, very used highly in Saudi. Mm-hmm. So I was like saying that, you know, this has to be changed. We have to be, you know, women, you know, the statistics show that women have a higher higher obesity rate in, in Saudi. We don't have that freedom of moving outdoors as men do. So we need to have a space where we can do that. 
And then I think that what really killed me the most was that the comments that I got was the negative comments that I got were from women. Wow. Yeah. And I think when I saw that, it wasn't one or two. It was like bad, bad, bad women, women, women. And then one good one. Oh, he's a guy. Mm. <laughs> you know. Oh. So the male were like, yes, please. You know, we want women to look better. <laughs> you know, all those stupid <laughs> comments. Yeah. But women were like, oh, you want to bring in your Western. And they hit the they hit those sensitive parts. You know, mm. you're not Saudi or you're not fully there or, you know, whatever. And you're trying to bring in what's not ours. This is not our culture. This is not what we do, you know, like that. Mm. And I was like really hurt. And I remember that I like isolated myself and I had a few friends come over and they're like, come on, you know, you can't like hide. Mm. <laughs> and and they were joking around. And I'm sure some listeners won't know this, but they were saying, you know, let's do a Jane Fonda video and we'll all wear Tima T-shirts. And Tima was a name that my mom nicknamed me. No one mm -hmm. calls me Tima, but her and mm. like very close childhood friends. Mm -hmm. So she and Tima the, is the name of your brand. Yes, yeah. yeah just and to let then, know. Yeah. but yeah. then and she t and she said that she's like, "We'll wear Tima T-shirts and we'll do a workout behind you, and we'll just you know uh, spread the DVDs or whatever." And I and she said that and I just had that light bulb moment, and I was like, "I should talk to women through fashion," mm. you know, because that's one thing in Saudi. However, it is, and I'm I don't know. You know, people always thought women were covered and. They were the most fashionable women in the world, mm -hmm. you know. So I said, that is going to be my key. And then that's how the whole brand started. And we, you know, I went to Brazil and went all around the world finding the right fit for us. And and we started the brand Tima. And it just and it just became a social cause more than a business. But then it turned to a business, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so which was good. Which is great. So win win for everyone, yes, really. Yeah. And And let's talk about the noise of the people, mm. right? And like you said, it was mostly women, which is incredibly disheartening because yeah. what you're trying to do is for them. It's what we spoke about earlier. Some people just aren't in the space to learn yeah. and to further their mind in certain topics. But you said your friends came around and they helped you out. And of course, the support system is the most important thing, especially when you're trying to break barriers in yes. society so tell me about the people around you how important yeah. that has been throughout your journey I have to say uh, the story because that was really the breakthrough for me in barriers and especially in my own mental barrier in one of my spin classes which I gave in a computer center <laughs> this was like maybe in 2006 or something and I come into the class and like you know I'm put the music on and it's like it's like a party on the bike you know mm. and there was this lady in the back of the class she was like you know in her zone and you know like uh, uh, cheering and like and I was like what what she had great energy mm. and I walk out the class I stand outside it was before women uh, were allowed to drive and I'm standing outside I don't cover and uh, so I was standing there wearing, of course, my abai and uh, head cover, but I'm not covering my face, waiting for the driver. And there was a lady right next to me who was covered from head to toe, like even black gloves. And I looked at her and she turned to me and she said, great class. And of course, I, there is no eyes. I can't see her eyes. And I'm like, you are in my class? Really? 
you know, she's like, yeah, I was the one in the back. I was the one cheering. And I'm like, wow. Wow. You know, and I, and I think that moment I was like, okay, wow. Uh, and it became, fitness became my language mm -hmm. to reach to the people where I thought they didn't understand me. Mm -hmm. And what was incredible that she, and then she didn't know that I was like completely judging her. <laughs> But she was telling me that, you know, I have to tell you, when I first saw you coming in and started giving classes and I saw your attitude and how you were and you weren't, and you didn't, and I taught, I was trained in English by teaching English. She says, and you don't speak much Arabic. I always thought like, what's wrong with her? This, you know, this woman who's like Saudi, but not really Saudi and not covered. And mm -hmm. she doesn't look like us. And, and, and she says, I completely judged you. And when I saw you and how you teach and how you give and how you do and, And I was like, listen, sister, you know, I've been judging you the whole time, too. So, you know, Why? but it's like it was like a moment of like, wow, moment for me. I was like, okay, you know what? I have to, you know, as much as I thought that I'm the victim being judged, being, you know, different, you know, I was doing the same thing towards others. Mm. And I think that's where I really had changed and opened up my circle and found a support system from every women of different age groups, you know, elder women, younger girls, uh, women who are my friends and who became my friends because of fitness, different background, different culture, different communities, societies. We became close just because fitness brought us together. Wow. I love that story. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think what's, um, what's really important is no matter what you're trying to do in life, especially for you, who's really fighting for a social cause here and for a group in society is keeping an open mind right because you have to uh, take into consideration so many different elements of people's lives it's their culture it's their physical limitations it's the what's going on at home all these other things that I'm sure you came across within that community that you created and I'm sure you were constantly learning so how important is it for a leader or a pioneer or a tra trailblazer like yourself to still keep that vision open like not be too tunnel vision about the the goal and what you want to achieve and also understand that it's the process and the journey throughout. I think uh, when I went to INSEAD and, and I took this uh, leadership program thing, a management acceleration program, it was the first time that I heard of, and this was 2007, I think, it was the first time I heard of emotional intelligence. And they were talking about it and like that. And I was like, wow, I actually do that. I actually comprehend where am I currently emotionally, mentally, spiritually for me to take a, a, a conversation forward or not. Mm. And even when and I'm so aware of it with the people around me. So when I deal with someone, I try to understand where they're from. Mm. You know, I do. I, do, I try to understand where they think people would be biased about them, mm. you know, where they feel they could be vulnerable. And That was, I think, I don't know. I think it's, it's something that has been given to me by God. And but I have to say that is really the key for me in terms of comprehending the people around me and accepting that process mm -hmm. and not thinking of where it's going it's to end up, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's where it, it always for me, I was always never thought where it was going to end up. Mm. All I wanted to think about, okay, How is it feeling right now? Mm -hmm. How is it benefiting whoever it is or myself or us 
right now. Mm. Where it takes us, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes us somewhere, maybe it doesn't. But what matters is the now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And I think that's really important for everyone um, to listen to. Uh, now, one thing you mentioned earlier was quite literally the changing of legislation, right? That mm. is something... It's a whole movement. And, you know, you said you were incredibly vocal about it. Um, Talk to me about the conversations you had to have. I mean, you're a young girl having these conversations, I imagine, with men, powerful men who are in positions to make these changes. Was that incredibly intimidating for you? Did you rise to the moment? (laughs) How how was it? I was invited uh, a few times to join a young Saudi businesswoman council and I've always you know like shunned away from it because I felt it was very difficult for me to be in a position where I had to follow protocols and speak uh, in a I do speak Arabic but I mean speak Arabic in a formal way and Mm -hmm. you know and there's a you know a proper way of yeah doing things in that uh, in that uh, realm so one of the girls who's now a very good friend of mine, she told me, join the the council and we're going to go to the Ministry of Sports. Uh, now Ministry of Sports, uh, at that time it was Ministry of uh, Youth, that give legislation for male gyms. And we're going to talk to them and say, we want part of our scope is to enhance women uh abilities and and opportunities to go get into entrepreneurship and business in the eastern province so that's one aspect that will open up a door for women to get into business and that's what we're going to use and then i told her okay you get me that meeting with the minister i'm gonna i'm joining this Mm -hmm. council Mm -hmm. and we did and it was me and a few women and we went there and we had our presentation ready i had all the statistics showing women's health a status in Saudi and talking about actual women who have done things, but they were not able to shine in Saudi and they had to do it elsewhere under different uh, umbrellas, specifically in sports and all that. And I remember that meeting, it was like, it was, you know, it was nerve wracking because I was sitting with the minister at that time and, you know, to tell him, you know, convince him to give us this legislation. And he, at, at the end of that discussion, he said, okay, done. And I remember it for me, I was like, no, it can't be that easy. Like, no, really? <laughs> I just had to ask. <laughs> and that's it. I asked him. I asked him when we're walking out. I said, thank you very much. And I took a photo and I said, I said, can I ask you, like, how did you just give it to us that easily? You know, how, what was it? Uh, you know, what was it in, the, in uh, the information? Or did you like get this, you know, get even others who mm. reached out and talked to you about this same matter? And he said, no, no one asked. And he said, nobody asked. And I remember when he said that to me, I was angry at every person mm. <laughs> that was in Saudi who was in fitness and never wanted to ask. Mm. They just shunned away because they were afraid that they're going to close down everything else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, let's just stay where we are. And let's not, you know, break anything. Just yeah. stay there, you know. But I remember he said, no one asked. And I remember at that moment. And, I, and he told me, now it's up to you. You've got permission now. Go ahead mm-hmm. and do it. And I remember we were, this was in Riyadh and we were driving back. And when I was driving back in the car, back to Damam, my friend is like saying, so, okay, now what's next? Mm. You know, what are you going to do? 
I told her I have a full-time job and, you know, I, I actually just do this for, you know, it's my passion, but it's like a hobby, mm. you know, it's mm. not really what I want to do, yeah. you know, and I don't, and I don't know what to do with it, you know, mm. so. And then at that point, I had the opportunity to actually open the first uh, licensed studio. I can't say it's the first gym because there have been many women mm. in Saudi who have contributed to fitness before me. Mm. And uh, and then we did it. And I remember it was crazy. It was insane. Like, you know, I know for everyone around the world, they think this is crazy. Like, it's just a women's gym. But it mm. was, it was like, you know, and we called it Studio 55 and you know, referring to Studio 54, which was a nightclub in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said, this is going to be a fun place. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun place for women with the 55-minute classes. And, like, and it, it was just exhilarating when we first opened. Mm-hmm. It was to see all that support system right there and be part of it and then grow it. And it was incredible. Because it's more than that. It's not just oh, yeah. a fitness studio. No, it's yeah. not just a gym. It's not yeah. just a class. It's 55 minutes of a woman getting to express herself. It's uh, 55 minutes of a woman actually being able to be her true authentic self. Yeah. Um, how is that community now that you've created? It's just incredible because it's it's from the woman to a woman. Mm-hmm. And even like I have because we do these conferences every year pre-COVID in Miami, which is a big spinning conference and spinning and fitness and everything. And and we we have a like a circle within that global community, which is called Soul Sisters. Mm-hmm. And when they saw what we're doing in Saudi, they're like, wow, you guys have this naturally. You know, us women, we need to create space for ourselves. You've got it here. Right? Mm-hmm. But even the concept itself, I think would work anywhere in the world. It's not because we have to be segregated in Saudi. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. I really believe that even if uh, gyms are going to be allowed mixed in Saudi, I'm going to continue it mm-hmm. with being only women because it's just really empowering. I would have days where I'd be really sucked you know, my energy out mm. and like feeling down. I would go in there and not even not teaching class, attending a class with other women. And I just see their energy and see who they are. And then, you know, and, and you know, these women, they go through a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. We just don't you talk know, about it. We just <laughs> don't talk about it. And, you know, and they just have this moment for themselves, you know. And it's just incredible to see how, you know, we've created these communities where women have become friends uh, and lots of long-lasting relationships came out of it, mm. and even businesses came out of it. Women met each other, started new ideas, different mm. initiatives. It's just incredible. Mm. Like, and that's yeah. something that you've really been a part of, is promoting entrepreneurship within young Saudi females as well. How is that scene doing, and what more can be done? It's Today, Saudi is just incredible. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I'm going to be the ambassador of Saudi. <laughs> yeah. After all these years of being not wanting to be Saudi, now I'm just, just love it, you know, mm. and and I love the scene for where it is today for women, even though men feel like they're left out, but it is our time mm. and we need compensation for all those years. <laughs> so, but and when it comes to entrepreneurship, also it's incredible how women are instinctively entrepreneurial. You know, they are they have that I believe more than uh, men do because of 
you know, you have to have solutions mm-hmm. at home as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister, as you know, you have so many different roles and women come to solutions really quick because it's the, their instinct that they have to get there. But with entrepreneurship, I've seen women come up with like the craziest ideas, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe they start the business and maybe they're part of it. And maybe they even enter uh, startups that are founded by men but they just turn it to the next level. Mm. And today, the scene in Saudi, uh, there is lots of support and for SMEs and for startups. There's incubators, there's accelerators, there's everything. Mm. Uh, and for me personally, I'm like in different mentorship programs to help the you know startups in uh, in different types of uh, businesses, not just fitness. Mm. Uh, so it's. There is a whole ecosystem today, I could say, in Saudi that helps an mm. entrepreneur and specifically a woman. Yeah. Mm. Is it now a case of women now making sure if they have the ideas to go forward with it? You know, is yes. there less of a fear now? Is there less of a stigma around a, a woman being an entrepreneur, you know, running her own business, creating her own brand? No, today, I think I always say this to younger women, especially when I have talks at universities. I say, now the ball's at your court. Mm. Play it. Mm-hmm. Before, we didn't have a ball. We weren't allowed in the court. Mm-hmm. Now you have the court and you have the ball. And you have to play it. You know, it's all in your hands right now. Nothing is stopping you. Mm. At a time where myself and many other in my generation... And also the generation before me who really broke boundaries and like, like it was hard to start something and they've done it. So today they don't have an excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, today they can do it. Mm. And honestly, Saudi women are capable. So Fatima, before we wrap up the episode, I would love to ask you what you're up to now. Uh, you're a hotshot CEO of Swiss Group. So tell me more about that, what, what your role entails. And honestly, this is a role that I feel I've I've been prepared for all these years. You know, I started my career in multinational companies and then uh, in every way tried to, to leave Saudi and then ended up in a, a very uh, a strong, big company in Saudi and worked with them and then left that to start my sport uh, adventure and entrepreneurship. And then I had, uh, I was pregnant in 20. 21 Mm -hmm. and at that point I said okay I'm going to take a break Mm -hmm. and uh, I've found a investor in the studio 55 and it's going to expand and move forward and I said okay this is me going to be create a little nest for myself Mm -hmm. and then I was approached by Switz which is industrial baking Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with what I've done in my life Mm -hmm. Other than marketing and sales, that's the only thing I could relate to. I have no engineering background or, or understand manufacturing or anything that way. And we had the interview and I was like, hmm, there's something different about this. <laughs> it's not just a job. It's not just the title of CEO, but it's the culture. And whenever I work with anything, and anyone, I always try to see a value system where we click. And I just felt that uh, my role here, being CEO, had also, 
you know, supporting my personal life agenda of supporting, empowering women and uh, Saudiization and uh, hiring a female is huge in the mm -hmm. company. So it was really, really stirred up another fire in me, which I thought I was over with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's it. Have a baby, stay home. <laughs> so that's where I am today. I am the CEO and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's a learning journey. I've completed a year with them and it's been, uh, thank God, a very good year. Mm -hmm. And looking forward to many more years with them too. Mm. And I feel like we, we spoke about dreams change all the time. Yeah. You know, I feel like every day I'm different. Every day I want something more. So for you, what is the dream? What's the next dream? What do we see happening in your life in five to 10 years time, God willing? For me, I think my the dream is not really a destination or a position or where I will be or anything like that. But my dream is just to continue spreading my message. And I use different vehicles for it. And I believe that I had different vehicles throughout my life for it. If it was through fitness, if it was through, uh, you know, different uh, podcasts that I'm mm -hmm. doing or speak or speakers, speaker in conferences, uh, you know, and it's just it just feels like I want to continue this and, you know, make sure that it. I really help the next generation. Mm -hmm. You know, I this is I think really now looking at the younger women, uh, looking at where they are and that they have everything. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that's that's you know scary. Yeah. Right. Mm. We didn't have anything, and now you do have everything. Mm. What are you going to do with it? You know, and I think that is where I really want to be part of, and that's what I really want to contribute in. And the next five, ten years, I hope I continue doing what I do. Mm. Fingers crossed. I have no doubt whatsoever. Right. So I want to thank you so much for your time, for being here with us. I hope you enjoyed your first ever podcast episode. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I almost made you cry a couple of times, but it's been an honor. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.